You're listening to Live with the League, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. Welcome, everyone. Uh, you've joined another conversation uh, on Live with the League here with the Michigan Municipal League. I am Matt Bach, Director of Strategic Communications, Assistant Director of Strategic Communications with the Michigan Municipal League. Uh, I got the Lansing team on with us today, and we also have our CEO and Executive Director, uh, Dan Gilmartin, as our special guest today. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. So, we'll get started with Dan. I I know a lot of uh, top of mind for a lot of you right now is the American Rescue Plan and what it means for your communities. Um, If you attended our Capital Conference last week, you heard Dan talk about this and, and kind of what this really means for our community. But I know not all of you were able to, so we thought this would be a good opportunity to bring Dan back on to uh, expand on some of the stuff that he talked about. Um, so Dan, go ahead and uh, just give us a little background as far as uh, the American Rescue Plan, how we got here uh, as a state and as a nation with, with the stimulus for, for COVID relief. Sure, Matt. Uh, uh, and hello to everybody. And uh, if you've heard some of this from last week, then I I apologize. We're going to rip through some things pretty quickly here, because I think it's important to look at the totality of what the American Rescue Plan is. And so many of us are in the past year have seen uh, projects and programs that have aimed specifically at COVID and uh, specifically at trying to get, you know, a community through a week, through a month, through a year. And this one's a little bit different. When I talk about the American Rescue Plan and when I look at how it became, uh, how it went into effect, obviously COVID was the big uh, push on it. Obviously COVID was the number one thing that, that, that got um, the federal government in, a, in an investing form, uh, if you will. But the numbers here are, go way beyond simply looking at lost revenue or simply looking at uh, some of the expenses that you all have incurred at the local level. And we start talking about investing. And I think that's really the important thing when we look at this. Um, this bill really was passed uh, not in a month in DC, uh, but it was passed over several decades of pushing uh, the federal government to really reimagine and reinvest in its communities. Uh, if you are around, there are very few people who are around anymore to remember federal revenue sharing. I think it went away in the early 70s. Uh, if you were here, great. You win an award, Matt will send you a, a Frisbee or something. Uh, but there used to be a very direct relationship between the federal government and the local units of government in terms of providing for investment dollars. And that obviously went away. We've also seen, obviously, cutbacks at the state level. So having, um, you know, having COVID as a, as a precursor to doing this is very important. But the fact that the federal government felt the need to invest in local units of government, especially at the rate that they did, shows that work over the last several decades of really pushing to make sure that local units of government, that municipalities, downtowns, communities, uh, whatever you wanna say is important about where you live, that that is actually higher on the list of things we should be investing in as opposed to an afterthought. Uh, Because obviously there's a lot of things in this bill, they invest in small businesses and and different aspects of of society, um, uh, certainly education, uh, healthcare, you name it. But local government's there with a, with a with a big number coming through, so we're very pleased with that, and I think it goes again way beyond COVID. Um, I think it's a plan, it's a chance. The American uh, Rescue Plan is, is a chance for local units to think a little bit differently about what you're doing. Um, the money can be used through 2024, and we're going to talk specifics about the programming here in a minute. And as Matt said, we've got a lot of your questions out there. 
but the fact that you've got a few years to spend the money is an important way to really look at how uh, you're able to assist your community. One of the things we talk about at the league and one of the reasons we push this so hard at the federal level uh, when we talk to members of Congress and members of the administration was that we can't have a comeback, an economic comeback, uh, a social comeback coming out of COVID unless our communities are in a place uh, to host that comeback and to accelerate what's going on in our local downtowns, uh, in our neighborhoods. So uh, making sure that we have a viable structure of community around what's going to be taking part in terms of coming out of this is as important as kind of what we're doing right now as we as we work hopefully through the, the, the final stages. I can knock on wood when I say that above COVID. I think we've got a ways to go here, but we're, we're certainly rounding the corner and, and heading the right direction. So the importance and the uh, the relative health of your community, be that through infrastructure, be that through just your, your basic strategic or your basic general fund and your ability to provide services, whether they be water and sewer, police services, all the types of things that are going on at the local level. That's really, uh, I think, risen up the board in the minds of our state and our federal partners. And we're very excited for that. And I think, again, that comes after years and years of pushing it. We need to continue pushing it as we move further. So uh, we're going to be sharing some talking points with you. And this telecast here, we're, we're going to be speaking to messaging. We're going to be speaking to allowable numbers uh, and a little bit of the background in terms of, of, uh, of what we're able to do. And let me, again, uh, I did it last week, and I'll do it this week as well. Uh, shout out to our state and federal affairs team, um, all of whom I think are going to be on the, the call here at some point. Uh, there was really a full uh, uh, a full court press on our behalf and working through the National League of Cities, so I think it did a great job in quarterbacking this, and then a number of local officials from around the state and around the country were very engaged in this process and were a, a big part of it. We're going to need to stay engaged as we move forward, both with this plan, as we're going to talk about here in a minute, and then looking to the future in terms of what's coming next. So overall, Great. very good news for our communities, and we're excited uh, to be in a position we're in, and, and we're there to help you move along on this one. Yeah, Dan, you had several good points in there. I think, you know, what, of course, uh, you talk about taking your time and, and really having our communities think about how to use this money to invest in their communities after years of disinvestment. You yeah. also talked about this has been a long-term fight of, of, of our organizations in the National League of City to get some kind of you know, uh, uh, investment into our communities. Talk a little bit more about the league's involvement with this plan. Um, you know, I think you know, you, you said, you know, the NLC kind of took us, um, you know, the bull by the horns and ran with it, but really the, our state league was was intimately involved as well, were, were we not? Yeah, as we have been on the national level for a long time, but on this one specifically, uh, yeah, we were, we were involved every day in conversations with our partners at U.S. Conference of Mayors and, and the National League of Cities and other groups that were out there pushing uh, on behalf of the American uh, Rescue Plan. And I think uh, Chris and I, particularly and John, were involved in a whole bunch of different things and trying to help with formulas, trying to help with strategies uh, and getting people to think a little bit differently about this. Again, with what's happened in our state economically over the last few decades, maybe we're a little ahead of, of others who are, aren't used to, uh, to making some of, these, um, some of these arguments and sort of maturing these arguments as you move through them. And it was, it was interesting to see sort of the message tested, message testing and, and formulaic testing uh, as part of this plan to see what's actually working. And that's where I, as I said a few minutes ago, I feel very good about the fact that uh, the community's role in being able to host the recovery, 
uh, to be able to help our citizens get their get back on their feet, to be able to help our small businesses, whatever it might be in your community, that that messaging I think was very strong and and was accepted at the national level in a, in a number of different ways, and and we feel really good about our role in in, in projecting that and, and and being a part of that. So um, yeah, and I'll just add Matt into that. Right. I'll just add into that. You know, Dan's right, and and it hasn't stopped either because we're still, as right. everyone knows, U.S. Treasury is going to provide guidance. And it's, they have a, a ton of leeway to make interpretations on how the ARP will be implemented. And we're having discussions even, even today, uh, this morning, with our partners at NLC on how specific words are going to be interpreted. And, you know, when the, what does the word budget mean and infrastructure? And, you know, if you, you know, there's all sorts of questions that members obviously have. And so yeah. we have a direct line in with NLC and, and some of the, the folks who are developing this at the federal level. To get our to get our um, kind of our take on the implementation and, and how that guidance should look, right? And, and we will be answering a lot of your questions today. But um, for questions that we can't get to, uh, Betsy will have you post in the chat a link to a portal that Chris was referencing, and that is from the National League of Cities. They're doing in conjunction with the U.S. Department of Treasury, and this is a portal that you can go to and ask questions that you have. You can share your experiences with. That you've had with the stimulus once the ARP money starts coming in. You can share, you know, things, lessons learned. You can do a lot of those things. So that portal will be a, a really kind of a conduit, a way for you to, to kind of stay connected at the federal level um, and hopefully, you know, correct issues as, as they as they pop up. Because anytime you have something this big, you're gonna have things that you didn't think about that are gonna that, that come that are gonna come up. Um, go ahead, Dan. Do you want to add something with that? No, I just uh, I know we want to talk a little bit about roads and yes. uh, I saw an, a, a question in here um, I think it was from Rebecca Flurry in Battle Creek about word the use of the word or as opposed yes. to and when we talk about infrastructure and uh, yes we do believe at this point in time that is an or in terms of in terms of uh, the way that it's written in terms of selecting one of those choices rather than spreading it amongst the three and I, and I will say this, when it comes to infrastructure, and John may want to speak to this more in detail because this is something he's been working on for a long time with us. Um, the Biden administration is, that's where they're headed next. They're headed towards uh, transportation infrastructure. Uh, you've heard the, the president say it out loud. Uh, uh, new Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, uh, formerly Mayor Pete, I guess now he's Secretary Pete. Uh, has been talking very directly about a huge investment into what we're doing for a road system. And I think the one of the reasons that, and because we pushed that early on, that that or wasn't changed into an and, was the fact that they want us, they want to uh, preserve uh, the need uh, from, a, from a spending or from a, a, a passage standpoint when it comes to a transportation plan to make sure that we've got uh, the need and the ability to do that. So uh, we expect that uh, in a matter of weeks uh, uh, that there will be legislation out there in terms of, a, of another huge uh, spending program around transportation infrastructure. And uh, again, from a perspective of making sure that we're towards the top of the list, not the bottom of the list where maybe we've been in the past, is making sure that local units of government, local roads, uh, local transit facilities, uh, regional programming, those types of things are included in this. So. A little bit of background on why there's an or there and not an and, but I think uh, unless we've changed our minds since last Friday, we do believe that that's a that's an or in terms of selecting one of those as opposed to spreading the money around and, uh, with more to come in terms of transportation as we move forward. Anything right. else on that, John? 
Yeah, no, Dan, I, I think you're exactly right on where our interpretation sits today and, and the thought process and the idea that infrastructure is going to be the next big hurdle that the administration wants to tackle at the federal level is, is very much uh, in, in the works right now. I know we have had some conversations with Senator Stabenow's office, who sits on a key committee that's associated with this, sort of already passing along our priorities. And you're right, in the coming weeks, this will, will begin. This is not months down the line, but literally weeks down the line. I think the only sort of uh, little additional piece I would give to your explanation on or Dan, is, is that Treasury, much like many other things in this bill, may choose to, to have that interpretation different than what we have today in terms of it only being one. Uh, but that is still to be determined. So I think right. the, the best thing to, to think about right now is it is going to be one of the three in which you have to spend that on. Uh, so as you as community start to think about your priorities over, over the coming days and weeks, think about it as one and then Treasury will provide final guidance on that. But there is a, a, a brief opportunity, I guess, where they may interpret that, that you could spend it on, on any of the three or all of the three. Well, and I know just in with that, we've had a ton of questions come in. If I dig up the road to handle the water main underneath, what do I do with the road above? So I think a lot of those type of questions are exactly what I know the link Betsy put into the into the chat here. That's definitely something that we've already been in contact with NLC about. We're not the only state asking that question. Yeah. Uh, everybody is. So that's definitely on going to be going to be in that kind of compiled list of things that National League of Cities takes and, and talks with U.S. Treasury about. Yeah, and that's why we're trying to get these, these questions answered all the time, and we're trying to be as transparent as possible when we get them in terms of passing them along on our website in programs like this, or just talking to people individually, making sure you have those answers. Because uh, if you can imagine the size and complexity of a bill like this, um, what was it, 700 pages when it was done or something, something like, like that, that. Uh, you know, they're, they're it's after it gets passed, people sit down and try to figure out what it all means uh, oftentimes. And that, honestly, that happens at the state level as well. It's just that this one's even, even larger. Uh, but I think uh, we will be able to get answers to those questions and it will require you to be thoughtful in terms of how you do this. And, and I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll end my remarks and, and go right to questions or whatever you wanna do by just saying just that. I, I think that, you know, one of the things I talked about last week that I think is so important to think about uh, as we move forward is that we have been in cost cutting mode for so long and, and we have uh, faced every issue from a perspective of scarcity. You know, we don't have enough to do this. We don't have enough to do that. How can we cut here? How can we cut there? And I think it's been remarkable what local leaders both appointed and, and elected have been able to do in this state under those circumstances over the last several decades as we've seen the economy here in Michigan uh, completely change itself and some of the other issues that we've dealt with. Uh, this is really an opportunity for many of you, uh, not for all of you, but for many of you in terms of your distributions to think about how you invest in your community and how you how you go forward and how you utilize these funds to really, again, build yourself out of and build your citizens out of this COVID experience we've had. And I, and I think that that's a different niche we need to scratch. And, and that's why we say, take your time. It'd be really easy to go to sort of the, the three next projects on your list and say, okay, we can afford to do two of these and, and move forward. And, and in the end, that might be the right thing to do. But you know, thinking more about how we build as opposed to how we just sort of keep the doors open and the lights on, again, is, is a different uh, 
point of view to come from. And I think one that's really important for us to be thinking about. So, um, you know, again, uh, taking your time, figuring this out, looking at everything in total and trying to figure out how you can help jumpstart and move forward is something, a process I think you all need to go through in your own ways before you can ask the questions in terms of how specifically you're gonna spend these dollars. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this is really an opportunity for all of our communities to to really think different and think creative with having maybe some resources where, where in the past they're trying to do those things, doing more with less. So now they get the chance to do more with what they should have be getting. So, um, so I wanted, we do have a lot of questions. Uh, Dan, you're welcome to stay yeah, on and answer sure. those. Uh, the, the, some of the, I'll, I'll kick off with a couple of the key questions that we get a lot, which is one, when is the money coming? And two, you know, what about the villages? Uh, we hear a lot about villages. We know they're not listed. So Chris and John, I'll let you guys uh, kind of tackle those two big questions that uh, we've seen. John, why don't you handle the timeline on the end of villages? <laughs> sure, I can, I, I can, we can absolutely do that. Um, so from a, a timeline perspective, uh, when you look at, at what the, the actual language in the, in the bill states is that there is 60 days from the time of passage until that money has to be sent out the door. What we understand it to be right now is they're on a timeline of maybe about 45 days-ish to get guidance, and then dollars should be coming out from the federal government uh, shortly thereafter that, but it has to be done within that 60-day window. Now, there are two aspects to that, though, that are, are really critically important. One, uh, the local money was split into two different components, um, entitlement community component and a non-entitlement community component. If you are in the entitlement community, which is about 34 cities in the state of Michigan, or in a general sense, if you're over 50,000 in population, you will get that money direct from the federal government. If you are in the non-entitlement side, that money will be sent to the state, and then the state has 30 days in which to send that to you. There is a, a caveat to that as well, where they can apply or the state can apply for a hardship uh, and they can get up to 120 days to send you that money. But in the language, it is very specific that they shall send it to you. And if for some odd reason, and we know that the legislature in Michigan and the governor right now have, have argued on past uh, stimulus dollars, but they face a, a significant financial penalty equal to the amount of money that they withheld from sending communities if they don't send it out. And so we think that is incentive enough where we do not see the state holding onto this money because of that financial penalty associated with it. And then the final component is, is it comes in two tranches, okay? So the first tranche will be half of your allocated funds, which comes out in that 60 day window and then the second uh, tranche comes one year or 12 months after the first uh, check is delivered. And that the state doesn't hold that money. They get it in two tranches as well, is our understanding. So all that money resides with the feds um, until they actually send it out. And then either it goes directly to the individual community if you're an entitlement side, or it passes through the state within 30 days with the exception of the hardship um, if you're a non-entitlement community. Yeah. So to break down half the money this year, half the money next. If you see you're up for a million bucks, expect uh, $500,000 this year and $500,000 next. I see a question on here um, from Richard LeBlanc. It's not a payback <laughs> issue. It's a, it's, a, it's a straight check that you will get <clears throat> and you will have to keep track. And obviously in terms of how you spend that money, 
but it's not like you'll turn in the hours of a police officer or the contract for a sewage issue or something. You'll be able to go ahead and do that on your own. I think that that all weaves into this conversation of where are the villages? Um, so what we know is <laughs> the feds, as Dan mentioned, since haven't done local revenue sharing since the 70s, they don't have programmatic linkages to most local governments. Uh, the entitlement communities that John mentioned, your, your communities that are normally community development block, block grant uh, eligible that receive their funds directly from HUD, those are the folks that they have an, an existing relationship with that they feel comfortable sending a direct check to. Everyone else, they don't. And so as they look at each state and all the different uh, local government structures in every state, uh, you know, you have parishes in Louisiana, you have combined county uh, city governments in Indiana and other states. You've got some states that rely fully on counties to do everything with very few cities, but some with towns. You know, every state has a different local government structure. So the federal government and especially the congressional staff who are doing these estimates that you've seen, they, they only have access to certain data points. And so when they developed uh, the data point for local governments, they use census data. And uh, there's a blog that uh, we posted last week uh, and Matt, maybe someone can, can put the link in there. But there are some two specific reference guides that are embedded in that blog that, uh, that Congress shared with their kind of their explanation of why the numbers look the way they look. So if I could leave everyone with a giant asterisk to start with, don't count specifically on the number that you're seeing from March 8th or February 25th or February 18th. Again, all of those were developed with, you know, as Congress continued to try and refine their ability to figure out how to get money down to this level. Yeah. Right now, if you're a village, you are likely embedded, your population is embedded in the estimate for the township that you reside in. I know some of you are in more than one township. Some of you are more than, in more than one county. Um, our understanding is though that every local unit of government, including villages, will receive their own allocation. It is likely that the state will be told how to do that and to send it out. And so those dollars will come through the state appropriation, as John mentioned, uh, when it comes to the state, it'll be done on a per capita basis uh, through that method. But you will have your own allocation. Uh, and again, likely right now, it is somehow included in with whatever the township's number is. So when you're looking in the, at that list from March 8th, every township with a village in it, their number is going to drop for what their estimate is. There'll be a whole list of villages that are going to be included. And there are going to be communities, one, that we're missing, or two, that are going to be reclassified from one pot to the other. So again, these numbers are fluid. They are going to change. They were developed right now by congressional staff. They have not been finalized or firmed up by US Treasury. And that will happen hopefully by the middle of April here. Yeah, and just as an explanatory thing, not as a uh, as anything else, but you know, we have our structure of local government here. There are 50 different structures in 50 different states. And so you have, you have townships in the Midwest because of the Northwest uh, 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 Northwest Territory layout of about 200 plus years ago, which I won't go into. But you know, you've got uh, county, uh, city, county forms of government, and regional governments in other states. You've got uh, all kinds of different aspects of what who actually is a local government. In New York, they have hamlets, for example. I think it's Pennsylvania leads the way with about eight or ten thousand different units. So. Again, from the federal government standpoint, this is what we were working with them on for a long time is trying to figure out how we get money to everybody uh, without 
excluding folks either from a, both from a, a standpoint of, of fair issues in terms of getting the money out and from a political perspective too, to make sure we pass this bill because the bill obviously only passed by, by one vote or two votes or whatever it was in the end. So um, that, that's, that's a tall order for folks in DC to be able to figure out, but we're comfortable with where we, we sit right now. And um, I did talk to Chad over at Crane, somebody referenced Crane's article and uh, they were sad to have put that number, those numbers out about 15 minutes after they did, because those are not great numbers, but we, we well, will just, get, yeah, continue to have this put, and get you what you get. They had to put a long editor's note at the bottom of that chart, explaining all the things that were missing and right. wrong with it, but they already had put it up so they really couldn't take it down. But it was, well, a, it was Matt, very just, difficult for them. Just on this question just came up, I wanna re reiterate, the township is not their own allocation. It's just in the estimates that congressional staff have posted right now from March 8th, it appears that it's all been combined for villages and townships that are underneath them. That is just an estimate from congressional staff, villages will be receiving a direct allocation from the state. Right, so, yeah, Chris, so if, if Chris, you're, I, I if know, you're, go ahead, John. Yeah, sorry, Matt. Chris, I know we talked a little bit about this sort of in our side conversations, but maybe a good way for our communities to think about this is a little bit how they think about, you know, constitutional revenue sharing, right? So there's a pot of money that, that resides with the state that needs to be distributed on a per capita basis. The state does that. Each community gets their allocation based on that, that sales tax revenue that comes in. It will be similar to that, right? So if we think about that constitutional revenue sharing process, that's really what we're going to see here for those non-entitlement communities, but just with federal dollars. Right. Yeah. And I was just going to add an example about what, what Chris and you guys are saying. Let's say that your township right now is getting a million dollars and you're a village in there. And, and we know eventually that's going to be broken down. So you get 200,000 and that township, therefore, would only get 800,000. So they'll, they'll be shuffling that, that money around um, for the villages to, to come for that. Um, I, I do, we have also a couple of our staffers on the line. We are going to be getting to the uh, Open Meetings Act issue. I know some of you have already posted questions about that, but I wanted to stick with the stimulus stuff as, as much as we can, and then we'll shift gears and go to the Lansing, the other people on the Lansing team. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, a couple of questions that I see on here that are speaking to um, some issues we've been hearing pretty consistently. Uh, one has to do with, with funding other groups outside of government. And one has to do with unions and, and you know, how many uh, union representatives are going to show up at your door saying, hey, you got some money now. We want some more money. Um, <laughs> and somebody asked me to sort of handicap how that's going to look. I, I don't know how that's going to look, but I would I would start from a perspective of obviously this is one time money or two time money if you if you look at terms of how it's broken down. So if you're talking about a long term contract, a three to five year contract that you're settling. Uh, that will then lead into the next three to five year contract. Um, these funds will not be available then. These funds are going to be utilized uh, up front. So certainly it's going to be up to you guys to figure out how you spend that money in your community. But if you're looking for a perspective of, of how I would start that conversation with folks that see an extra 10 or 15 or 20% in the municipal budget this year, remind them that that's not there forever. And then the other thing I think is important to think about too, I've heard from a lot of folks that have had people knocking on their door saying, hey, we need money for this, we need money for that, we need your money. Um, again, up to you guys to figure out where the, uh, where the points are in your community that you ultimately wanna fund. 
Uh, but this is a little bit different and, and a little bit different for us as local units of government. In the past, when we have won some of these or come out ahead in, on funding issues, it's been a, a, a single issue, maybe you know, road funding or something, and we're getting this big pot of money. But the, real, the Rescue Act funded you know, hospitals. It funded uh, lots of medical uh, groups. It funded uh, schools, um, small businesses. There's all kinds of programs out there. So my first, um, uh, you know, my first line of defense, I guess, <laughs> against folks showing up at City or Village Hall saying, "I want your money," is to say, "Hey, look at your own stuff." And we're going to we're providing some of that through our website as well in terms of what's available out there. If it's a if it's downtown businesses, if it's if it's even some other folks out there in different areas, there's a lot of aspects beyond our money in this bill that are going to impact people in your community. And pointing them in that direction is very important because there's some significant money out there uh, for different folks in different areas. So make sure they're utilizing that before they're, they're coming after your funds as well. Well, that's yeah, one of the things when, when we talked on Friday with our partners at NLC, they, they wanted to make sure that, that members are very aware of there's, there's a lot of money for different purposes in here. And you should view these dollars as kind of, I don't want to say last resort dollars, but, but look to find some of those other specific targeted sources first as potential opportunities when those groups come to you, because we all know they are. Um, and then you, know, you have an ability to, to figure out what the right strategic plan is for your community. And you have until the end of 2024 to, to spend these dollars. Right. So you've got, you know, I know one of the conversations we've had is, coming out of the Great Recession, local government had a long tail of impact in the Great Recession. You know, the national economy, the state's economy was rebounding, local government did not. And I think that's one of the things that, that having this extended period of time to use these dollars allows you the opportunity to manage that, that potential long tail of impact. Yeah, Chris, that's, that's exactly where I was going because uh, of, of our call with NLC on Friday. And, and one of the examples they gave was 100% reimbursement for FEMA eligible uh, expenses, right? And so if FEMA is going to, you know, have 100% reimbursement, try and get, you know, to that pot of money first, rather than just using uh, right. the state and local dollars that are coming in. So I know NLC is working on that. There's a number of others that are working on that. And, and I think at some point there will be, you know, I'll, I'll say a list, uh, how specific that, that list may be, but at least to give you a general indication of, where all the different pots of money are that you may be yeah. able to access as a community. And, and, and that's going to be important to maximizing, you know, really the return on, on what this complete $1.9 trillion package represents. Right. Like there are pots, pots of money too, that there'll be grant eligible. I mean, this money's going to come to you directly, but there's also, um, you can apply for money if you're a resort community, for example, that has been hit hard uh, by the fact that you've missed two or three or four seasons of, of resort dollars in your town. Uh, you can apply for those funds. So obviously, if you're in one of those cities, you're thinking, man, I've got to prop up my, my hotels or my restaurants because they've been killed over the last year. There's another area you can go through on something like that. There are those, there are those lots of programs like that out there. So make sure you've got a holistic view of this, not just the X amount of dollars that are going to come into your city hall coffers. And we also, Dan, have our Serve My City program, which is a program that yeah. we have in partnership with public sector consultants where we help our communities navigate all these different grant sources and, and things that are out there. And, and uh, the, the, the program is still uh, uh, you know, very active. Um, so if, as you started getting this money, if you need help, you can reach out to us. Uh, Shanna Graham and our office is in charge of that program. Uh, we'll be happy to help you kind of navigate those waters. 
One of the questions we got right off the top was uh, documenting, reporting. What kind of requirements are going to be required um, to, to to show the federal government that these monies are, are being used in, in the way that they're supposed to? Pause. Not everybody wants. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were talking about uh, guidance from Treasury. There's no question there will be reporting. There's no question on that. Um, I think the, the question comes in, what level? Is it going to be like what Michigan Department of Treasury required under some of the CARES dollars? Probably not. But again, until we get that guidance from U.S. Treasury, we aren't going to know exactly what, what is going to be asked for. Yeah. Also, I see the money's coming. Can they be invested? I mean, when you get that check, you do with it what you do with another check. You put it in the bank, you do what you're going to do. Um, obviously, we're going to have to be great stewards of this money. Um, one of the things I see Selma and Josh on here, who along with Matt do a lot of our communications work, the fight is not over. We won the political fight and we're going to get this money to us. Uh, but obviously there are folks out there, they're going to be watching what happens with this money, watching how it gets spent, watching how it impacts things like businesses in your community or, or how fast we can get the vaccine out to everybody. Um, so making sure we do everything by the book, whatever that book is going to be, is going to be important for us. Uh, but obviously, we think that it's going to be a positive um, and, and probably not as much in the way of, of what you've seen from federal government dollars in the past. Uh, you'll be able to go out there and tell them what you did, how you spent this money, what the outcome was, and be able to move on from there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and we are um, kind of, Dan alluded to this, we are putting a series of talking points together for you. Uh, we hope to finish it up today or um, uh, or tomorrow for sure this week. I'll get it out to our members to kind of give you kind of a just a, uh, an idea of how, um, you know, if you get questions about, you know, this money, some, some just different talking points and, and bullets that we suggest you follow. Um, and responding to um, your your community on that. Soma, did you, Soma Tucker is our Director of Strategic Communications. Uh, welcome. Did you want to add something to that? Sure. Uh, one note on those talking points, uh, that the, the time is, is really important. Um, because you've got those folks who are knocking on your door right now um, and asking you for support, um, first directing them to, uh, which is exactly what uh, Dan said, first directing them to uh, a resource that, uh, that might be able, that might be a better fit for them. Um, that's gonna be important. And then the second is uh, as a community, you are going to take your time with this. That's what the dollars are used for. And you're gonna engage your community uh, to, to, to make sure that you're lined up on what your priorities are. Um, because those dollars have to be invested in your community uh, based on what, what really is most important for that particular, for the needs of that particular community. So uh, use this space uh, around treasury guidance. You're not going to spend a dime before you, uh, before you get that treasury guidance. Uh, so we've got, a, we've got a tail there. So we've got at least uh, several weeks there. And then we've got another four years after that to spend it. So uh, we, we want to give you those talking points so that'll help you locally. And that'll help you as you uh, as you get calls from the press as well. Um, so we want you to take your time. We want you to be methodical. That is good stewardship. Sure. Yeah, well, that's that's that strategy that. is so important too. Because I mean, if you think about what we said earlier, if you're in a resort uh, community and you have commercial business and you have a healthcare presence there, and you're obviously as a community, there's four sources of funding that might, if you start talking about what, how you're going to spend your money, there, there, there's 
you know, the more you coordinate, the better off you might be able to be. Uh, and it's going to be different in every community, but that's important to look at that. And I know just in terms of what Selma and Matt have been talking about, uh, again, working with our, our partners at NLC, they've, they've put some similar materials together very preliminarily right now, along with, uh, with what you've seen in terms of their requesting the questions, the, the link for the portal there. But they've also got some you know, just high level talking points, things to be thinking about as you start to plan on this decision making. We'll make sure that all gets shared with, with what we have put together as well. Okay. Uh Great. Um, I do want to bring in uh, Jennifer and Harrisana <clears throat> real quick to the conversation uh, to talk a little bit about the Open Meetings Act issue and uh, other things that Harrisana is working on as well. Um, we have already got some questions about that. We, we do know that the uh, under the current uh, Open Meetings Act that the, um, the no, what we're calling the no excuse virtual meetings during COVID runs out at the end of this month. Well, there's a couple of bills out there. A lot of our members are trying to figure out what to do. Should we have in-person meetings or not? So Jen, I was just hoping you can kind of run down the latest on that and uh, just general direction uh, for our members. Sure, Matt. Um, not a lot has changed since our update last week at Capitol Conference. Um, thank you to everyone who has been reaching out to their legislators. Um, the backstop really right now is in the House. Um, Senate Bill 207 that was introduced um, over in the Senate is, you know, prepped and ready to move, um, but it's not going to move without a commitment from the House that they'll take it up. And so that's why we were encouraging folks to reach out to um, House leadership, as well as their representative, um, if it's not someone who they know is already on board with extending uh, the no reason virtual meeting extension past um, the end of this month. Uh, and, and again, this is for flexibility. In no way are we advocating that we go back down into shutdown mode and everybody can only meet virtual. But we have many members um, across the state whose meeting chambers are too small to accommodate the up to 25 um, people with social distancing. Um, and so we need some flexibility here. Um, having when you're talking to your legislator, especially over in the House again, um, you know, talking to them about the legislature right now is still conducting committees remotely um, and legislators are participating remotely. Now they have to be in person to vote in committees, um, but they are, you know, using a hybrid model um, currently. And I've been asking questions since last week and again today. Um, has there been any talk that they're going to discontinue that use? And as of right now, no, they're going to continue doing that hybrid model where legislators can participate in the meetings remotely. But again, they can't vote. So maybe that's something we can look at is, is a compromise of continuing um, virtual meetings for any reason where the, the elected, the actual public body officials have to be in person, socially distanced um, to be able to vote on items. Uh, so I, right now, there, I mean, spring break starts in the legislature uh, next week and they're gonna be gone, no session for two weeks. So we're not gonna see an extension of this um, by the deadline, by the sunset at the end of this month. So um, folks are encouraged to work with their uh, legal counsel on um, their ability to declare a local state of emergency, whether that's through their charter, um, how that is done, or through uh, just an ordinance, um, working with their county, 
Um, we had a great OMA presentation by uh, Steve Mann last week um, that laid out the three ways you could look at uh, continually to use remote uh, as an option. And, and you mentioned one of those ways, declaring a local emergency, uh, a person from Ferndale just posted the extension that they're looking to pass at their council meeting tonight. And they shared a link to that. So um, there are avenues like that out there, correct? Yes, definitely. Hey Matt, right. on, that, on that session that Jen mentioned, will our members from CAPCON have access to those sessions afterwards to be able to view them afterwards? Yes, if you attended CAPCON, you should have already received an email from us with uh, links to all the presentations, the, the videos of all the presentations. All right, uh, Harrison, I wanted to bring you in, uh, just talk about, I know you're working on a lot of different, uh, the water level issue and, and different infrastructure things. Go ahead and give us a quick update on the, the hot stuff that you're working on that our members should be aware of. Chris sure. is laughing at my use of the words hot stuff. <laughs> well, Chris probably knows that I'm going to talk about some solid waste management, which is probably the more hot topic of this week. <laughs> so sorry to tell you, we're still working on that shoreline appropriation. Conversations are still going. They've been really good, responsive as they've been throughout this whole period of lawmakers who understand that high waters and shoreline erosion has been a very critical issue for our members. So we've had conversations with members of both chambers, and those conversations have been going really good. This week though, in committee, we have part 115 up again. This is the second week that's in house natural resources and recreation. And I've been talking about recycling and solid waste management for a while because this work has been in progress for a while. We've gone now over six years in discussions, negotiations, conversations, bill drafting to get to this point. And I reiterate again, we're working on a rewrite that is over 25 years overdue. We're behind in the Midwest when it comes to managing our materials, whatever it's recycling, composting, landfills, you name it. So we've been working really hard to get, bring this policy forward to get the meaningful rewrites that we can get done so we can act, get access to those renewed Michigan dollars for recycling to better help our communities establish recycling and materials management processes throughout their communities. So we're really excited to try to get this done. Of course, there's attacks bringing preemption and you know, attacking our people for local control on this. So in Representative Tate's bill 4461, the one that specifies on the materials management process, there are two issues that they're trying to take on from us right now. One is for the ability for adjacent communities to have input in the materials management process. This isn't a vote, but simply just acknowledgement to neighboring communities to be able to have input on whether we're putting landfills, compostable sites, and others, and making sure that they have a a place in that conversation. Not a voting right, but simply letting them know changes that are gonna come. And secondly, they're looking to preempt our ability for local ordinances to enforce noise, odor, hours of operation, all those things above, which are very important things, reasonable things that obviously local units want people to manage for their community when it comes to materials management. So these are old arguments that they've brought up time and time again to keep this package from moving forward. So we're working with our partners, at the Michigan Townships Association, as well as our other environmental groups to reaffirm that this, the process to manage our materials is very important, it's critical, it should be done well, and there should be lots of local control to make sure that that process is done right to the way the community wants it to be done. And we're not gonna push back from that. So you'll see us in committee this week talking about that again, as well as support from various organizations. We have support from Chairman Howell as well, who has been working with us lockstep his entire time as chairman of that committee to make sure that we get this done. 
and the whole time they're making sure that municipalities have had a consistent voice at the table. And you know, no, the policy is not everything that we want, but it's a consensus, right? And it's being done in a meaningful way, in an inclusionary way. And so we're going to be addressing those in committee this week to talk about the importance of collaborative work when it comes to sustainability and how we're on the side of that. Um, otherwise, taking a huge flip, House elections, we're seeing some activity this week. You know, it's been a really active committee so far after we've come off the election. And also with Chairman Boland, who's been really interested in applying a lot of the post-audit results into legislation to address some of the things we've had going on in Michigan. So the two things that are up this week that are going to be big for us is challenger training. This new legislation that's brought forward by Representative Posthumus, and it would require anybody who wants to be a challenger during the election to take a training at least 90 days out from the election, and that training will be facilitated by the county clerk. So we're having discussions with our different units of government to see how this would apply to different areas regionally, whether it be different more dense areas, as opposed to rural areas. So those conversations on where we'll land on that are still ongoing. Another big piece of legislation that's up with a package together is a package on election day consolidation. So this would eliminate the May and the August elections and only have a June election date. Uh, and with the package that's presented- June, June election? Only June, only oh. June. So we'll have June and we'll have November. So our members are supportive of this because running multiple elections in multiple cities at different times can get a little bit difficult. And it's a lot easier to consolidate all of those in one. So we've heard some positive feedback from members on that. Uh, and these bills were introduced last year in the Senate, but we have reintroductions in the House here. Uh, and something important to note that this one would retain the March primary election only during presidential primary year. So that's a little bit different because many communities are able to have March elections of very, at various times throughout their cycle. So that'll be one change to the bill. And so as that's been presented, we've been supportive of that um, and looking forward to watching those two move to the committee. But in addition, we see lots, seeing lots of legislation related to elections come through. So it's definitely something our members should stay tuned on. Are we, are we seeing a lot of the things we're, we're seeing in other states here in Michigan? Because there's other states that are kind of rolling back some of the absentee voter stuff. And are we seeing any of that movement here in our state? Similar. It, it's different. You know, a lot of our AV related legislation did come off of our post-election audit and also our state's individual response or I guess reaction to Proposition 8. So some of the things that we see a couple of weeks back um, requiring that only uh, that if a third party is sending out any election materials and that's notated as if it's separate from the state or the jurisdiction, because we ran into a lot of issues with residents receiving up to 12, 11, 13 absentee ballot applications from many folks other than their local clerks. And that added a lot of confusion, especially for folks who are on the absentee, absentee ballot list already. So we're seeing things like that. We're seeing a lot of listing up for inactive voters. That was a result of the post audit. Uh, as referenced by the chair of that committee. And um, that may have also tied into some of the election that we've seen, um, elections legislation we've seen across the country with changing the voter rolls and making adjustments there. But what is helpful to say in Michigan is that a lot of the changes that have been uh, proposed have been pretty consistent from what we've already been seeing from the data in past elections, as well as I mentioned before, the post-election audit that was done prior to the 2020 election. And I should reference too that the changes from that were recommended in the post-election audit weren't able to be implemented because we were too close to the 2020 general election date. So there might be some stuff that we'll see that's very hyper election related, but just because of timeline before were some of the reasons why we weren't able to have them implemented before. Okay, well, thank you. So we do wanna dive in, uh, thank you, Harris, Donna, and Jen, uh, dive into some more of your American Rescue Plan questions. 
Uh, one of the ones I see uh, kind of related to this issue is, is an extension to the water shutoff moratorium expected. Um, that was something we've talked about in the past. Um, who wants to jump in on that one real quick, Jen? Yeah, I can, I can jump in on that quick. And, and right now, much like Jen talked about the timeline as it relates to the legislature leaving for spring break, uh, there is not an extension of that moratorium uh, expected between now and the 31st of March. Okay. All right. Uh, next question here is, when do we expect the census count, census stuff? I think last we've heard that's September-ish. Okay. And, and then, September. And, and, I know the, so if I, the, the redistricting committee has to do their work. And so there's a whole sideline of conversations taking place at the state level on whether the redistricting, the independent redistricting commission that was set up can actually get their work done in time to meet the constitutionally set deadlines because of when census data is supposed to come out. So there's, there's obviously a lot of late delays in this that will impact, have ripples all over the place. Okay. Uh, another question here is, I was wondering if there was a direct federal contact or agency I could reach out to for more information on the COVID relief funds. Uh, is there someone that they could talk to or what do we advise on that? Keep listening to us. Keep listening to NLC. Uh, again, I think the, the biggest thing here is we are all waiting on U.S. Treasury guidance. We are all waiting on final numbers. Again, it's very difficult to plan when, you, when the numbers you have aren't finalized yet. So just keep that in mind. You get to take, kind of take that breath we talked about and know that there's, there's a window here before you have to commit, uh, commit these dollars. Certainly start thinking about your community's priorities. Uh, but once we have a better sense of those, that guidance, and again, I'll go, I did post in the chat the link to a, we talk about the length of the bill itself, 700 plus pages. The analysis of the bill alone is 77 pages long. So, but there is a Senate fiscal analysis and it does a really good job of outlining all of the various programs that Michigan uh, could benefit from. As we talk about this, uh, you know, some of these questions that are in, in the chat here, Matt, of different areas where people, you know, how do I help, help these businesses in my tourism industry or how do I help restaurants? Go through that analysis and you'll see there are actually specific programs designed for a number of these groups. When you talk about the hospitality industry, you talk about restaurants, you talk about uh, additional funding for PPE. Uh, one of the things we haven't talked about is something that local governments beyond this, this state and local aid portion, local governments are now have access to a 100% tax credit for their, uh, their tax expenses relative to employee wages uh, for paid sick leave that were required last year. That was something local governments have been excluded out of from the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, very first stimulus done last year. It was, it was not corrected through the whole year. This act now does extend that tax credit access to local governments uh, through, through the American Rescue Fund. So like I said, make sure you go through that. There, there are programs and line items. I know John and I talked about transit agencies, huge benefit for transit agencies in this, in this act. What, yeah. what are the questions? Go ahead, Chris. Well, yeah, and I think I'd, I'd mention again NLC's portal for submitting questions, right? And and part of the reason that's so important is because not only are they getting you know questions from the state of Michigan, they're getting questions from the other 49 states too, which allows them to elevate that to treasury. So if there's consistency in those questions, which most likely there are, 
then they can ask Treasury to address those things that they see as, as most consistent so we can get the best possible answers. So utilizing that portal is going to be critical to getting, you know, all of these questions that were asked today really incorporated into, into Treasury guidelines. And that's the advantage of being able to have a partner like NLC and then with the direct line of contact to Treasury to, to pass these questions along to. What are the questions had to do with investing the dollars? Are they allowed, say they get this first, the half of it, are they allowed to kind of set it aside and collect some interest off that as they try to make decisions? Or is there, or is there a, a way for them to invest these and, and use it down the road? That we believe that check comes in and, and you, you, you deal with it the same way you deal with other funds. Uh, if that changes, we'll let you know. Um, but yes. Okay. Um, uh, well, one question here, why did counties get twice the amount per capita as cities? So again, go back to my comment. Don't rely on the numbers you've seen. Uh, <laughs> those estimates will change. And keep in mind that counties are getting their dollars. John, I believe they're getting theirs on a per capita basis. So the 130.2 billion nationally that is going to local governments, has been split evenly, 65.1 billion for municipalities, 65.1 billion for counties. From that then, uh, each state is given their allocation and that's spread on a per capita basis within each, uh, within each local unit, except for uh, the entitlement communities, which are being given their funds according to the community development block grant formula that includes poverty, and housing instability and population. There's a number of factors in that one. Okay. That's something uh, we, too we mentioned on those multi-thronged uh, planning is county should be involved in that planning process as well. Uh, so that's another, that's a fifth, sixth, seventh group you can throw in there to be helped on a particular issue you're trying to deal with. Right. And one of the questions, Dan, and we, we touched on this, can you collaborate those dollars? Let's say the county's got a pot, you got a pot. Is, is there something you can come together and maybe do some joint projects or, or something? With yeah, that? we think so. I mean, that's, that's you know, again, uh, I think some of these things are going to wind up being, if they're not excluded and how you excluded by something we get that you'll be able to do them because there will be all that sort of stump the band kind of stuff, you know, with 19,000 units of local government and 50 different states and everybody go in different directions. Uh, but the, that's, certainly, that's certainly good governance. If you're talking about infrastructure plans to be working with the community next door or the county or whatever it might be. Uh, so we expect that that answer to the question is gonna be yes. And um, we'll, we'll keep you updated. Okay. Um... Any other big questions? Uh, we got one here. Can we get an update on Proposal A and Headley reform? Of course, that was one of the issues that we talked about in our community stabilization plan before lame duck. What's the latest on that issue here in 2021? So a lot of folks probably saw when we did the community stabilization plan, we, we had a number of conversations around that with uh, the Lincoln Institute for Land Policy and the report that they published uh, in October. And you know, again, just another Another in a long line of reports that really laid out in detail the, the very restrictive nature of municipal finance in Michigan. Headley Proposal A issue was part of that. We uh, have actually been, I was on a call this morning with a group of Oakland County legislators having this exact discussion. Uh, I know we have uh, our current legislator of the year, Representative Jim Ellison out of Royal Oak, former mayor of Royal Oak, had that bill last term in lame duck. Uh, we expect him to uh, reintroduce that bill this, this spring. And right now it's working on getting bipartisan support. 
And so we're continuing our outreach efforts with legislators on both sides of the aisle in both chambers uh, to try and, and get a, uh, some momentum of support behind that. Again, acknowledging this infusion of money from the American Rescue Plan is amazing and life-changing for many communities, but it is also one-time money. And so how do we fix that structural issue that exists in Michigan, that municipal finance problem, that broken system that we have uh, to ensure that once these dollars have been spent and invested in our communities, that you have the ability to, to maintain that, those investments and grow them over time. Okay. All right. Uh, another question we got was uh, about evictions. When will the ban on evictions end? That's something we have talked about in the past. So the moratorium um, ends uh, the end of this month, March 31st again, uh, but they, the governor signed in the last couple of weeks um, a bill that appropriated, it was federal money um, for rental assistance, uh, emergency rent assistance. Um, I think it was about 220 million um, and another 62 million, it looks like for costs associated with the, the state's new rent aid program. Um, so that is slated, again, the moratorium will end. Um, that was the federal moratorium on evictions at the end of this month. Um, but this uh, money um, is here for, um, I can find the website and post it for renters to start to apply for the funds. And I think that's all being run through MISHTA. Okay, thank you. Um... How about an update on local income tax allocation in the governor's budget? We, I guess is, I'm guessing this is regarding our income tax communities. Correct. As we've talked before, we have 24 income tax communities in Michigan, local income tax communities that are being impacted by the pandemic, both through uh, remote workers who are non-residents and through um, those folks who are unemployed and aren't having uh, withholdings taken out of their checks. Uh, and that unemployment benefit is not taxable uh, at the city income tax level. So governor recommended $70 million. The legislature is, I testified two weeks ago in front of the Senate General Government Subcommittee in support of that. Uh, both the House and Senate subcommittees are continuing to meet. Uh, as, as someone mentioned, the spring break is coming up here uh, next week. Uh, the legislature will be off for two weeks. We expect either this week or as soon as they get back that we will see some of those first first uh, editions of each chamber's uh, budget proposal. And we'll get a look at that point, but we continue to push and we encourage uh, all of our members from those income tax communities uh, to be reaching out to their state rep, their state senator, letting them know how important it is to maintain that recommendation for $70 million for those communities. All right, thank you. Well, so we are real close to our hour. We try to keep these about 45 minutes, but your questions have all been excellent. We try to get as many of them as we can. Um, Dan, was there something that you saw in there that you wanted to address? No, just 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 to end, uh, one of the things, you know, we're always critical of our partners at the state and federal level uh, when they do something, uh, uh, shall we say, wrong. Uh, but in, we need to be equally as uh, uh, is, is engaged when, when something goes well. And, and I, would, I would tell everybody here to, you know, contact your legislator, contact your, your member of Congress, as well as our two US senators, thank them uh, for partnering with us, not for the handout. This isn't a handout. Don't thank them for a handout. Thank them for basically placing our partnership and recognizes the importance of local units of government at the top of the list or near the top of the list than at the bottom where they've done it in the past. I mean, it's, it's important what you guys have done during this period of COVID to maintain services, 
despite all the problems that, that, that this, this, uh, this virus has brought to your community, um, it's important to realize people are experiencing this virus very locally. We see what's going on on TV in New York and in Spain and in London and other places, but how your businesses and how your uh, residents have, have experienced this has a lot to do with your ability as local leaders to make sure that your services are still running and that you're doing everything you can. And I know now there are many communities involved in vaccine distribution and what the federal government has done through this, uh, through this American uh, Rescue Act has, has recognized that and, and uh, is uh, uh, certainly doubling down on the investment in what we're doing. So don't think of it as a handout. It's not one. You've earned it. Um, there's a long tail we've talked about uh, on this on this call. There's a long tail in terms of what our finances are going to look like and, and how they're going to be impacted. So we're in this for the long run. I think it's very important. But say thanks when you can, and uh, certainly uh, be as be as gracious with uh, saying thanks, saying thank you as we are uh, uh, vociferous when we see something wrong. Right. For, absolutely, Dan. Thank you so much for that. And um, uh, we, we will be talking about this topic quite a bit uh, more coming up. Our next Live with the League is uh, April 5th. We do have a, a Michigan Department of Treasury webinar um, scheduled. You can find it on our calendar. Um, I believe it's March 23rd. Uh, so we have some other things. We're, we're planning some webinars and things. And also, uh, you know, be sure to subscribe to Inside 208, our blog. Uh, Chris and John and them write regular blogs with a lot of this information. And if you subscribe, you'll get an email sent directly to you every time a new blog is posted. We don't post a ton of blogs, maybe two or three weeks. So not like you'll be getting a lot of emails, but it's really relevant information that's, that's really timely for you. Uh, a lot of times I'll get emails from members and I just direct them to the, to the blog because we've already kind of explained uh, the question that we get. So uh, feel free to, to subscribe to that. Uh, thank you team, everyone for joining us, Dan, for, for your wisdom as always. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we saw a couple comments in the, in the chat from people thanking us for all our hard work on this federal issue. I think that was Chris Barnett and Orion Township. Thank you for that, Chris. Uh, and again, thank you for everyone for joining us. So, so next time, uh, take care everybody. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mnl.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.